I consider the test of a good traveler is how they respond to Italy. There's so much to enjoy in Italy, it's hard to get enough of it. But the differences that can charm you one minute might frustrate you the next. I've learned by experience that Italy can force us to reassess our attitudes and expectations. We're joined now by American-born tour guides Anne Long and Nina Bernardo to look at what's happening this year in Italy. Anne has been living on the Amalfi Coast near Sorrento for decades, and Nina has made Rome her home base for many years as well. Since they take many American visitors around Italy each year, they'll take your calls in a bit at 877-333-7425 to help you prepare to enjoy Italy this year. Let's start by looking at some of the issues that might catch American visitors off guard when they're in Italy. Nina, what should they be aware of? I think a lot of things Americans are frustrated by. Uh, one of the big things is that they're used to service culture in the U.S., which is, um, you know, you go somewhere and the customer is always right and your needs are always attended to and everyone's always checking on you to make sure that you're okay. The Italians are not like that. They have um, perfected the art of practiced indifference. So practiced indifference. Practiced indifference. They just look so cool, you know, behind yeah. the bar or, or waiting tables or, or whatever. It's not that they don't care. It's just that the service industry is a little bit different. So, so you a, just have a, to be a little more assertive with your needs. And as a tourist, you might think they're not very attentive to you, but they're not very attentive to anybody. So. Right. They're not singling you out for any reason. <laughs> they treat the Italians the same way. And it's a practical way of life. It's a cultural thing, and just don't take it personally. Yeah. And how about you? What would you advise an American going to Italy who wants to have the right attitude to enjoy it? Well, it's, a, it's the same way with, like, jet lag. You have to kind of work your way into it little by little before you leave America to go to Italy. You got to start dropping your habits. Mm. I have to have my three cups of coffee before I can get going in the morning. You know, I can only walk straight on nice sidewalks like I've been doing at home. It's cobblestone. It's up and down. It's, it's a, a whole different world. It's a whole different system. Sort of anticipate the difference and celebrate it. Don't compare it it's to not what's bro- It's not bad. It's different. It's, it's not bad. Well, it's not bad. It's different. Nina, talk about that in the sense of the problem that Rome's got with garbage all over the place now. Yeah, Rome is uh, having a few problems with uh, city infrastructure and public buses catching on fire and garbage piling up and all that. And these are eternal problems, not just in Rome, but in Italy and, you know, a combination of corruption and mismanagement of funds and things like that. But that doesn't have to, you know, take away from your experience at all. If you can look beyond, if that's all you focus on, that's all you focus on. But if you can look beyond that, then so many beautiful things. That's critical. Same thing with strikes. I mean, there's a lot of strikes in Italy. I think it's a very important word to know when you travel in Italy. What's the word for strike? Sciopero. You should know that word, (laughs) sciopero. Because you may see a sign, sciopero, at the train station, and that tells you there's a strike. But, Anne, it doesn't mean they're going on strike for six weeks. These are kind of nuisance strikes, aren't they? And sometimes they they don't go on strike at all. They'll say, oh, yeah, the trains are on strike 24 hours. It starts at 9 o'clock, and you go at 9.05, and the trains are still going, and you go the next day. They decided to call it off last minute, but they disrupted the system. They, That's all they wanted to do. You know, they accomplished what they wanted <laughs> to do. A nuisance strike. Exactly. And even when it does go on strike, I find if it says it's going to be a strike to 9 o'clock tomorrow morning and you're flexible, well, head out before that, you right. know, or just right. anticipate that. But if all of a sudden you realize today the trains are, quote, on strike, I go down to the train station and I, I get on whatever train is going in the direction I want to go. I just work my way toward that destination. The high-speed trains usually go even with the Chopero because they, they definitely need to keep up, a, you know, they're going to other countries as well. So okay. the high-speed ones usually operate during strike periods. Okay. Nina, why are there so many strikes in Italy? I mean, what would they be about? Well, it's always about contract negotiations, and often contracts need to be renegotiated on a fairly regular basis, and so they're trying to make sure that their their benefits are taken care of, 
And so the only way to get attention sometimes is to have a strike or make a disruption. Oftentimes, though, as Anne was saying, the disruption is more for the locals. So it's mm-hmm. the regional trains that are being affected. So, yeah. you know, most tourists who are coming to Italy are using a high-speed train. So, so tourists really generally been... can skirt around it. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, there, there's alternatives, too. You can, yeah. uh, you can rent a car. You can hop on a bus. Mm-hmm. I find in a lot of ways the buses are underrated in Italy. I mean, you can go to the bus station, and, and it's actually quite a nice alternative. We're getting many different companies now in that are European companies that are doing from cities to cities. That is a big trend. I noticed in, in Germany first, it would go from one train station to another major train station, a three- or four-hour drive, and they would do it for half the price of a train ticket, right. leaving from the station to the station just as fast. Mm-hmm. So that's you'll see that in Italy also. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with two American expats who have lived in uh, Italy for decades, and uh, for decades also, they have taken Americans around as tour guides. And you moved to Sorrento, uh, near Sorrento, south of Naples, what, 40 years ago? Forty years. Uh, why did you go there, and then why did you stay? Well, I was de- trying to decide with my major at university, and I couldn't decide. So I said, six months off, I'll go and think it out under the sunshine of Sorrento, and ended up never going back. My university continued on in normal life and in southern Italy. Nice. And after 40 years, do you feel part of the community? I do. I do feel like part of the community, but I'm always the foreigner. You don't look very Italian. No, (laughs) no, I don't sound Italian. I don't look Italian. But you're married to an Italian. I married an Italian. I raised a child, and I pay the uh, the taxes, and I shop at the (laughs) stores, so they can't ignore me. (laughs) And Nina, you've lived in Italy enough to know about the bureaucracy that somebody has to deal with. As a resident of Italy, compared to what we live in the United States. Oh, it's so complicated. I try to live on the margins of society, which you yeah. can do a little bit if you're an expat. But, you know, if I have to go to the post office, I usually break out into a rash before <laughs> I have to go because it could take you hours to do anything. And in Italy, it's if you have one question and you ask five people, you get five different answers. So it's a little bit complicated, difficult to navigate. In Italy, it's always if you know someone who can smooth your way in, mm-hmm. it's helpful. So Italians tend to rely on the persona di fiducia, right, the trustworthy person who can help you navigate it. So you need to have a, a crony, really. You need to have a crony. And if you get stuck in a bureaucratic situation where it's a gray area and uh, a bureaucrat doesn't want to risk making the wrong decision, he'll say something. He'll refer to the responsible one, the person above him, right. who might be on vacation or right. is likely on vacation because right. he's up above, and uh, then he don't get anywhere. Right. And they embrace this phrase, non dipende da me. It's not my job. It's not my responsibility. So can't help you. Sorry. Come back another day. That's really common and incredibly frustrating. Much as I love Italy, it kind of breaks my heart about their bureaucracy. It just, they, they could Well, you want to visit so Italy. More. I don't necessarily know that you want to live there. You have to have a special <laughs> temperament to live there. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. We're talking about Italy with Anne Long and Nina Bernardo. Bob's calling from Chiricosta in Massachusetts. Bob, thanks for your call. Oh, hi, Rick. I have a question about Venice. I've been reading that, um, or saw somewhere that they're thinking about charging an admission fee or an admission tax to go into Venice. And I'm wondering, is that just for cruise ships? Or are they going to put turnstiles in the train station and Piazza hmm. Roma? Or, I mean, I know a couple of years ago they started charging even admission into the Milan Cathedral, which I thought was strange, too. Um, do you know much about this? Well, it's one thing to charge admission for a cathedral, which I can understand, but to charge admission for a whole city to um, moderate the congestion coming in and to raise a little money, that's pretty radical. And uh, what is with that, Anne? Well, there's, of course, always discussions. It's going to be quite a long discussion period. 
but what they're saying right now is that the people that are staying in hotels in Venice are already paying a tourist tax. And that, of course, is money going towards picking up garbage and the police control and things like that. But people that are just day trippers are not paying anything and they're leaving as much garbage around as anybody else. So they want to try to figure out a way to charge day trippers, which would be cruise ship people, but it would also be people that are just traveling on their own, coming okay. in, and they would have to pay a tax that could be anywhere from €2.50 to €10 Euros per person, and that would be collected. They're thinking maybe it can be put on to their train ticket, uh-huh. and then the train ah, people would pay Venice. Any train ticket going to Venice. Yes, or it could be the cruise ship People themselves would collect the money and pay Venice. So it's going to be a mess, and it's not going to be organized well. And just batten down the hatches. Here we go for the ride. <laughs> Here we go for the ride. And they'll talk about it for 10 years yes. before anything will ever happen, I would and think. The, as soon as Venice gets on board, everybody else will follow. All oh, the other goodness. cities will jump well, on. Well, in Venice, in a sense, I'm already paying a visitor tax when I come because the only way to get around is by the floating buses, the Vaporetto. And I think a local person pays probably less than a quarter of what I pay as a tourist. So it'll cost me, what, $8 to ride a Vaporetto ride. That's a ridiculous sum of money to ride. It's like a bus ticket for, a one-way bus ticket for $8. In a sense, I'm paying a $5 fee to be a tourist in Venice. There's been a lot of controversy about this as well because people are saying, well, if you have an admission to the entire city, you've already admitted it's a Disneyland at yeah. this point, and so you've taken away. Yeah. It would be a sad thing because there I is an actual community. There's 60,000 people right. there. It's actually ticking down. There's a pharmacy right on the uh, Campo San Bartolomeo that has a, a digital readout in its window saying what the population is today of Venice. And I don't know how accurate it is, but it's been going steadily down because people are finding, young people are finding that, hey, Venice is great if you're a tourist with a camera who wants to take a ride on a gondola. But if you're trying to live there and raise your kids there. And so and there's certain realities that do make really it kind of tough. Really difficult to deal with, yeah. So it's an interesting dynamic. But uh, Bob, are you heading to Venice? Yeah, I'll be going over next September. It is, it is one of my favorite places to go. I've been, I've been uh, going there for many, many, many years. And uh, I was sort of shocked when I saw that this time. They're going to talk about it for a long time. Frankly, I'd ignore it. And uh, I would just think about how can you enjoy Venice with a little less... Um, frustration because of the crowds. What's your trick, Bob, when you're in Venice to uh, enjoy the city while not getting, uh, you know, just overwhelmed by the crowds? I like Venice on a rainy day, you know, walking around the streets when, and the cobblestones when they're wet is just is, is, is amazing. Hmm. If you can time it so you arrive on a Vaporetto at St. Mark's Square just as the sun is setting, mm. it is magical. It is, uh, mm. It's an amazing thing to see. Mm. And then and whenever I'm with someone who's never been there before, it's, it's one of those jaw droppers if you can time it right. Oh, yeah. And um, a couple thoughts in that regard. Uh, if you go up to the Campanile in the winter on a crisp blue day, the Alps, it looks like they're just rising right out of Venice. And it's just like you just can't believe that crispy winter wonder of looking at the view from the top of the Campanile, the bell tower, that towering brick tower right uh, on the main square. Also, last time I was in uh, Venice, I happened to be in a little hotel away from the rest of my crew, and every morning at 7.30, I got up and I walked across the town at 7.30. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Be out early, and, and it's just so untouristy, and then be out late. The it's fish like, markets early in the morning. Perfect. And, great, um, great idea. And if you walk down Lissa de Spagna, all the way straight till it comes around to the Rialto. You get out of the, out of the tourist area completely, and um, that's kind of an interesting place to walk. I, I enjoy it. So important. Thanks, Bob, for your call. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, guys. Happy travels. You're welcome. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're joined by Anne Long and Nina Bernardo, and we're talking about what's new in Italy. Hey, Nina, 
I think 500 years ago, a guy named Leonardo died. What are they doing in Italy now? He did. So they're going to have a couple of really big exhibitions, one in Milan that's going to be on for a few months, and Rome is planning one as well at a place called the Scuderia del Quirinale, which is a a venue in Rome Mm. that puts on really important exhibits. So I think if you just Google Leonardo Milan or Leonardo Rome, Okay, so those would be the places. um, Yeah, those would be the things to see if you're in either of those cities, absolutely. And, of course, uh, Leonardo spent his most creative years, I think, in Milan. In Milan, yeah. So there's a lot of great Leonardo there. Right, which is why Milan will have an amazing exhibit, but Rome didn't want to be left out. They had to put something on. There is that sort of competition between Rome and Milan, isn't there? Right. You live in Rome. What do Romans think of Milanese? Well, I can't say on the radio, but... (laughs) (laughs) Rome just doesn't want to be outdone at all. Romans know what people think about their city, and they know that people think that Milan runs better and it functions better and, you know, it's easier to get around and all that. And so I just think that, not that they suffer from an inferiority complex, because they don't, absolutely. But they're competitive. But they are competitive. And they say for every church in Rome, there's a bank in Milan. So the the industrial, the financial center, a lot of the hard-hitting But the Romans will tell you that the Milanese don't know how to enjoy life, so... Sure, so that's an interesting north-south divide, like a lot of countries have. In the north of Italy, you've got that German flavor, and and in in Milan, I feel like people are power-dressing. They, right. You know, you go out to a little deli and they'll power wrap your your prosciutto. I mean, everything right. is and just And they like, walk oh. with a purpose. They've got a place to go and they have yeah. to be there on time. And the Romans stroll to the places they need to get to. And oh, they don't have a problem stopping for a coffee on the <laughs> way, you know, to chat with friends. So, and you're not in this, Bray, because you live in Napoli area. It's even when, worse. They, even, <laughs> they, they hate both of them. They hate them <laughs> Rome and Milan. So that's the, the problem with them. Well, uh-huh. I, you know, because that is an interesting. Italy got united around 1870, and, and before then, Naples was one of the richest and, and leading cities of the Italian culture. Exactly. Suddenly, Italy is unified, and Naples is sort of um, left out in the dark. They lost all. They were the richest nation. They had coffers absolutely full. And when they unified, all the money went up to the north because the first king w- went up to Torino. He was based there and took the money up there. So that's why all the immigrants to America were from Sicily and Naples. Okay. Because they had no, nothing to do. They had no way to support themselves. Their money was gone. Damn those northerners. I tell you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We are talking with Anne Long and Nina Bernardo, and we're talking about what's going on in Italy. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Mary's given us a ring from Wilmington, North Carolina. Mary, are you traveling to Italy in the near future? Yes, we are. We're really excited. My family, we have two daughters. They're 12-year-old twins, and we're going to the, I think, the big three, sort of Rome, Florence, and Venice. Ah, 12-year-old twins, Venice, Florence, and Rome. And that is such an easy tour to do on your own. You know, you just fly into one city and fly out of the other. Fly in, I would fly into Venice and let Rome be the finale, and you get an open-jaw ticket into Venice, out of Rome. You get two three-hour train rides, Venice to Florence and Florence to Rome. I bet they're shorter now because the trains get faster and the distance stays the same. You get three reservations for your hotels, and, uh, you know, you can, there's plenty of great hotels depending on your budget and your style. And then you've defined your situation. you got three days in each city. you got an easy train connection. And then you got to remember there's a lot of crowds and everybody wants to go to the same places. So book in advance the uh, high-profile places you want to see. If you're going to go to the Vatican Museum, if you're going to go to the Uffizi Gallery, if you want to see David, especially with two 12-year-old kids, you don't want to be standing in line for hours. You can book in advance, and that is really important. What questions are you struggling with to put an itinerary together for your kids? Well, actually, we're lucky because we're trying to take as much time as we can, maybe because of what you were talking about before, having to 
take time for things that might come up. So we're going to have about six days in each city. Mm, so great. we'll be able to see most of the big things with reservations, I hope. But we also want to do something different or fun, like activities or classes or bike tours. I wondered if, if you guys had any ideas. That's a great question. Let's just kind of brainstorm, Nina. And then you're going to Italy, Venice, Florence, and Rome. you got kids. What are some hands-on activities that will get the kids enthusiastic about the daily plan? In Venice, definitely I would recommend either mask-making or visiting a gondola workshop. So, so the mask making is serious. Yeah, you can go. There are several uh, venues where you can do it, and mm-hmm. you're making, creating, and painting your own mask. The gondola workshop, I think, it would be super cool for kids to see how they've been making gondola. I mean, there are only mm. a few places that make it the way they've been making it for centuries. And there is an actual uh, program where you can learn to. Uh, you pro- can learn to pro row is right. Gondola. Yeah, it's a right. one. It's called or. Row Venice. Right. Row Venice. Yeah, and you, you can, can do take... a, a lesson on the lagoon, and that's really really fun. You can take kayak excursions in the outskirts right. of Venice. And any other thoughts? Um, I remember reading that they have gladiator school in Rome that you can learn how gladiator to gladiator school. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm not sure about dress, yeah. uh, but uh, definitely so wielding weapons we sounds like fun. We who are about to die salute, salute you. Salute you, that's, that's right. I've heard that's really super fun. Yeah, really? Just yeah. okay. release some energy. And then also there's some wonderful bike rides in Rome out by the Appian Way and so on. Right, and also Florence to get out of the city. I mean, Florence mm-hmm. is relatively flat, but once you get out, you can yeah. get to the outskirts and there'd be biking there. One of the most memorable things I've done in Florence, it's not cheap, but it was really a cool experience, is making a fresco. And in the Ultra Arno, there's just workshops, and uh, you can actually learn how to make a fresco. And the kids, kids of any age, can actually make a, a pretty nice fresco. And you go out of there with a like a one-foot square fresco with the same technique that Michelangelo and Raphael would have used, and you go home with a souvenir that you did yourself. Wow, that sounds fantastic. There are so many fun things for kids to do in those cities. Uh, cooking classes, too. Oh, yeah, too. definitely a cooking, cooking class. Cooking class. They can yeah. make tiramisu ice cream. They sure. can make their own pasta. Do pizza nice. making, pizza all kinds making. of things. So it's just a matter of, as a parent, doing your studying in advance. I will remind you there's a lot of really good walking tour companies in all of these cities. And with a family of four... It's quite economic to hire your own private guide. You know, have a picnic dinner. You'll save enough money to have half a day of a private guide the next day. That way they can tailor it to your kids' interests. And it's on foot, and it's a delightful way to get your kids excited about all that urban fun. Oh, that's great. All great ideas. Thanks for your call. Have fun. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking Italy with Anne Long and Nina Bernardo. And Kate is calling us from Willoughby in Ohio. Hey, Kate, are you heading over to Italy? Hi, I am Rick. This is, I, I think, my sixth or seventh trip because I'm an absolute nut about Italy. And now I like going to the smaller places. But this will be my first trip to the Apulia area. And we have an Airbnb, a uh, few friends and I, about halfway between Bari and Brindisi. And I'm just wondering what suggestions you might have for that area. Now, is this Puglia or Apulia? So Puglia in Italian and Apulia we say in English. Ah, so same, okay, because yeah. I've always same seen Puglia. Same heel of the boot, yeah. It's yeah. the heel of the boot. Right. And that's I, just straight across from where you live? Right, it's right across from me. And uh, if you look at a map of Italy, there's a little spur on the back of the boot of Italy, and that is the Gargano Peninsula. And mm. that is full of small little resort areas, beaches, and really undiscovered. I mean, they're very busy July and August, but the rest of the year, beautiful, clean sea, and nobody there. Good food, relatively cheap accommodations around Because you do there. have to be careful when you're traveling in Italy, when you go to a beach resort, if it is a disco kind of uh, clubbing beach right. resort. Uh, what is the big one south of near Pisa? Rimini, up in Rimini. 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 
They're just the, like, the cheesy ones with the discotecas are usually up north. Up north. We so keep it simpler down south. Down in the right. south. That's good. Nina, any other ideas for yeah, Puglia? Yeah, some of the greatest cave complexes uh, in Italy are in Puglia. So the Grotta di Castellana would be really, I think, an easy drive for you from where you're staying. And also the Castel del Monte, which is not far from the caves. And that's um, Frederick II. He's, I have a crush on him. Um, you have a crush on Frederick, I Frederick II. I know. What isn't is that, it about isn't him? That a weird, so isn't that a weird crush? He was a visionary. But he uh, built this very enigmatic uh, Who was castle. He in, in, <laughs> so he was uh, half German, half Norman, and he was uh, basically Holy Roman Emperor and King of Sicily in the south of Italy. So okay. he was a big thorn in the side of the papacy in the early 1200s. Right there, you're talking about Holy Roman Empire, the papacy, the Normans. Italy was only Italy in the late 1800s, yesterday, historically speaking. And when you have a sense of what was that fascinating layer cake of civilizations and squabbles, what do they say? In in Sicily, there's been 17 different dominations Dominations, or something. So 17 different uh, civilizations that have swept in, take over the place, leave their cuisine, leave their dialect, leave their values, and then be tossed out by the next civilization. And it turns out to be just a fascinating experience for travelers. And the more you understand that when you travel there, the more you'll get it. Right. It just makes your experience so much richer if you have a little bit of a sense of all those different layers. And of course, Mateda isn't that far. It's not Puglia. But Matera is a wonderful city to go visit. And what is iconic about Matera? The caves. Uh, the caves. It's been continuously inhabited for 7,000 years. What's the city uh, that Mel Gibson was in during that's the That's right. That's the where they did the Matera. passion. Yes, so Matera is where they gr- filmed. Uh, almost biblical kind of uh, exactly. landscape. Exactly. It feels like you're in the Middle East rather than it's yeah. right. when you go there. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And then there's the famous uh, Beehive Huts. And yes, Matera is capital, European capital of culture, so there'll be tons of events going on. From where you're staying in Puglia, it would be an easy probably day trip for you. Hey, thanks, Kate. Have a good time. Grazie. And Steve's calling from Tigard in Oregon. Steve, thanks for your call. Oh, you're welcome, Rick. Nice to talk to you. Yeah. Have you been uh, uh, dreaming about Italy? Oh, I dream about Italy all the time. My wife and I have been there together three times now. Uh, In 1995, my wife and I visited the Cinque Terre at your suggestion, and it truly was a back door. Twenty years later, we went to Vinata, and it seemed more like Disneyland. It was so overwhelmed. Yep. I plead guilty. And, uh, it is popular. It's certainly discovered now, isn't it? It certainly has been. So um, are there times of year when you can visit there that are not so crowded, or what similar things might you suggest? Well, you know, there's and times of years when you can go to the... We're talking about the most beautiful stretch of the Mediterranean coastline anywhere in Europe, as far as I'm concerned, the Italian Riviera, the Cinque Terre, five little, almost traffic-free towns nestled in the very, very rugged part. Only in modern times was the train allowing it to connect with the rest of the Italian world. When I first went there, completely untouched, undiscovered, rugged, rustic, and poor. Now it's well-developed, it's very popular, and it's quite affluent. And you can go there in the off-season, and it's very quiet, it's very sleepy, but everything's shut down. All the good restaurants take a break. All the bad restaurants stay open because they need to make more money, and the good restaurants are closed down. I would go in the summer, but I would avoid weekends. I would go in shoulder season, spring or fall, and I would just avoid weekends because, remember, a lot of crowds there, but in the weekends it is uh, exacerbated by people from Genoa coming in because it's the beach town getaway for Genovese. And that, combined with the fact that cruise ships are now docking in La Spezia instead of Livorno, they dock there to go to Florence, but from La Spezia, where they now are docking, it's much closer to the Cinque Terre. So half of the cruise crowds 
I was just on a cruise ship that docked in, in La Spezia, and I had noticed there was as many excursion buses going to the Cinque Terre as to Florence, and that inundates that little region. So if you hit it on a weekend when the Genovese there, or if you hit it when there's a perfect storm of cruise ships in at the big city nearby La Spezia, you just have to anticipate huge crowds. Anne or Nina, do you have any advice for crowds in the Cinque Terre? Well, if you're staying overnight, probably not stay there, but stay at one of the towns north of the Cinque Terre. Then you have easy access into the towns, but then you don't have to deal with the crowds all the time, and you can choose when to go in. You know, the middle of the Mm -hmm. day when the cruise shippers are there is the busiest time. You go early in the morning, later in the evening, and then it seems much more backdoor. Almost any time you're dealing with cruise ship crowds, remember, they're there between 10 o'clock and 5 o'clock, and that's when it's miserable. I was in Dubrovnik. It's the same thing. Dubrovnik is hellish when there's a lot of cruise cruise ships there from 10 till 5. But then when those cruise ships sail away, it's just you and that beautiful town. So in the case of the Cinque Terre, in the middle of the day, it could be packed. But if you're staying nearby, as Nina was mentioning, you can uh, enjoy the Cinque Terre and uh, you can remember that the trains run every hour and you go half an hour north and you find yourself a town. What towns are you thinking? I was thinking of Levanto. That's my favorite laid-back town to stay in. But north of there is Bonasola, and there are a few others. You can stay in the Cinque Terre, or you can train ride in. But when you get on that train, when you hit it during rush hour, it's actually frightening. There's so many people on the platform, and it's just chaos. And people can't get off the train. They can't get on the train. Sometimes part of the train is stopping outside of the train station, so you don't even have a platform, and you have to jump off onto the stones. It can be a mess. They've got to work on that in Italy. Yeah. Sounds like quite an adventure. It's an adventure. You know, and Steve, one thing we just always got to remember when we go to the famous places, they're no secret. There's these darn travel writers that are always talking about them, and uh, everybody knows about it, and uh, there's more people traveling than ever. That means it's more important than ever to venture beyond that, and uh, right. that would be the theme for 2019. I mean, there's lots. 90% of Italy never has any tourist crowds. You it's know? true. So you, many undiscovered places. You so. could go to Bolzano. You could go to Bergamo. You could go to uh, Napoli, and you don't have the tourist crowds and you have that wonderful Italian culture. Right. And what's your tip for getting off the beaten path in Italy? Well, you always have to fly into major cities, but Mm -hmm. then once you're into the major cities, all you have to do is go to a tourist board and they'll tell you what a day trip out, where they have, what they have available. Local travel agencies Mm -hmm. that sell excursions can explain to you what's around that you can get away from the crowds and go find something. Also, you know, there's public access buses and trains to these places, but if you can name it, it's going to be crowded. There's a lot of towns that are just San Gimignano, everybody knows it. Siena, everybody knows it. Uh, Florence, Michelangelo, everybody knows it knows it. But you could go to a different town and it would have almost no crowds at all. Nina, any advice on... on yeah, even if you're going to the, the big towns, it's not necessary to see, you know, the, the most iconic sites to get a sense yeah. of a place. I mean, you can go to Rome, Let's talk not, about see, that in not Rome. see the Forum and not see the Colosseum, but you could learn about ancient Roman history by seeing Trajan's Market. It's got a beautiful museum. It's right across the street and nobody goes and there. And there's nobody there. What is the Pamphili? The Palazzo Doria Pamphili, which is a beautiful art museum. You hardly have anybody in there. It's got nobody there. It's got high-class, top-notch art. You don't have to go to the Vatican Museum to see top-notch art. And it's a five-minute walk from the Pantheon. Right. Cross over to Trastevere, and you take a right, and there's the Villa Farnesina. Villa Farnesina. And it's got, doesn't it have some Raphael in there? It has some Raphaels in there, too. And there's never a crowd. Right. Right. Where are the people? They're lining up to get into the Sistine Chapel. They're crushed into the Pantheon, you know. So there's lots of ways to get away from those crowds. Steve, thanks for your call. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for the advice. Bon viaggi. Rob's calling in from Petersfield in Manitoba. Hey, Rob, thanks for your call. Hey, how you doing? Actually, we've been to uh, Italy a number of times, but we're taking our nephew who's in the university right now. He wants to see all the high sites and and that there. The last few times we went, 
we didn't buy any like a Roma pass or a Omnia pass or anything like that. We just we just kind of walked around and and picked up little tours from single people that were standing outside the these areas like the Coliseum and that. Found those pretty good. Um, what would you recommend? Like I don't know whether we should do the Roma. The only thing I don't like about the passes is that you have to use them in in consecutive days, right? Right. Well, the good thing about a sightseeing pass is it lets you in without waiting to buy a ticket. Right. And uh, various cities have various passes, but uh, they pay them for themselves in a couple of visits, and then you don't have to wait in line. You go straight to the front with your pass. Right, yeah. Now, I have two guides with me here, and I'd love to hear what they've got to say about just grabbing one of those guides that stand in front of the Coliseum and want to take you in. I know it's easy to do, but I would absolutely avoid them at all costs. They're usually the lowest quality guided tours you can get. They're, um, I don't want to say, but yeah, they're a little bit of like a mafia association, and those... Those hawkers are out there getting, you know, 50 cents for every person they can bring to the tour. The guides are not paid very well, so they're not the highest quality guides, and they're just trying to get a number of people in there. I would avoid those. I would say if you want a guided visit, go with a high-quality guide, but, you know, you can do a little bit of research and find a good one. one. And if you don't want the Roma Pass, you can still book individual entrances to tickets and avoid the line. So if you don't want to go on consecutive days, you can decide on the museums you want to visit and book an individual entrance. Okay. That might be a good way to, you know, do that and then maybe pick up a city pass just for the buses and metro and that, and then we can kick around and drop in on our own. That's exactly my hope for do-it-yourself travelers. Rob, thanks for your call. Okay, thanks a lot. Happy travels. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been looking ahead to what's new in Italy and how to travel smartly in this coming season, and we've been joined by Anne Long and Nina Bernardo. Anne and Nina, thanks so much for giving us a better understanding of your adopted homeland. Grazie, Rick. Spero di vedervi in Italia. And what did you just say? I just said, hope to see you in Italy. And simply, piacere. My pleasure. My pleasure, too. Buon lavoro to both of you. Grazie. Grazie. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. Europe Through the Back Door teaches the skills of smart travel. Travel as a political act adds meaning to the journey. And Rick Steves' best-selling country, city, and pocket guidebooks cover every corner of Europe. To learn more, visit the Travel Store at ricksteves.com.